Still not Kevin Pankhurst, but I am Kevin Pankhurst's dad. I'm glad we got that straight. Oh my goodness, I would get the two confused. Sometimes I would say, and I'm not Kevin Pankhurst, or I'm Kevin Pankhurst's dad, and I started mixing the two, and it was not good. <laughs> no, I, Sorry, I'm Kev. very happy to hear that you are indeed. <laughs> yes, I'm I don't know taking how else, full responsibility. I don't know how else it could have happened, but anyway. Uh, um, and you are listening to Grow on the Go. Oh yeah, there's that too. <laughs> we eventually got around to that part. We, um, Kevin is involved in a, a musical theater production. She's busier than a one-armed paper hanger. <laughs> with hives. <laughs> with hives. Yeah, so she is um, still not available. We hope to have her back very soon. The show is this Oh, week. I know you all hope to have her back soon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Randy and I just got back from Atlantic Canada. Um, he was speaking at a... Um, camping conference. Camping conference, yeah, for camp leaders, right? Yeah. Yep. At Crandall University in Moncton, and I've got to say, shout out to Crandall University. I know, and if if we've got Atlantic Canadians listening, it was my first time in your neck of the woods, and oh my goodness, I loved it. I loved the architecture. I loved the landscape. I mean the the lobster. The lobster. <laughs> oh my goodness, we just about ate our weight in lobster. I think. Yes. Anyway. So you've been involved in camping ministry for, like, so many years, like, well, long the, before you and I were dating. Yeah, and the camp that I volunteer at one week every summer, this summer will be the 40th year I volunteered as a staff person. Wow, and your dad was actually really instrumental in founding and, and growing that yeah, camp to what it is so today. So as a kid, I spent much of my life out at camp. Yeah, which is yeah. very cool. Very cool. And one of the th and you've been involved in pretty much every apps aspect of camp. You've done program. You've done lots of maintenance stuff. Yeah. You've done directing, um, directing and speaking. you have become a phenomenal storyteller. It's it, a, it's it runs in the genes. In the genes. Yeah. Yes, my dad is an absolutely brilliant storyteller, and even in his eighties. Compliments of you. I would have him out to camp at least one night every week. I directed to tell a story. Yeah, and when yeah. he tells a story, it is like being there. Yeah. Um, and until his stroke, uh, he would do that. But yeah. unfortunately, he's lost the ability to, to to remember and to be able to put the 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 words together smoothly. Right. His aphasia, I think they call it, has okay. improved a lot. But yeah, it's a skill he's lost, unfortunately. Hmm. Well, we've got a lot to cover today, so I want to get going, but. Um, Having said what an awesome storyteller you've become, um, I would really love you to introduce our topic today, uh, which is to scratch or soar. Ah, you know why I, I know the that, story. Don't you? Yes. Yeah. So why don't, why don't you tell that story? Sure. There's a great story in a book called "Experiencing Christ Within." Uh, Dwight Edwards wrote that. Now I know this story is not unique to him. It's actually a Native American fable or legend, mm. and uh, Jesus taught with with uh, parables all the time. This is a brilliant parable. And, and the story goes this way, that there was a young brave who came across a nest full of uh, golden eagle eggs. And uh, in a boyish prank, he decided he would try something. He would take one of those eagle eggs and he would put it in the nest of some prairie chickens just to see what would happen. Hmm. And eventually the egg hacked, hatched and the young eagle was raised along just as one of the little part of the family of prairie chickens. And he had no reason to doubt that 
He wasn't one of them. I mean, they all hatched at the same time. So he just learned the behaviors they learned. And instead of flying and hunting, he scratched and clucked just as prairie chickens do. And years later, as he'd grown into more maturity, he saw an eagle soaring overhead. And his thought was, what a beautiful creature. I would love to be able to do that. And he actually shared that thought with some of his prairie chicken brothers who assured him that no prairie chicken has ever done that. They couldn't possibly hunt or fly like that, like that majestic bird. And so he just went back to pecking, just like them. And the young eagle, uh, eagle gave up that fleeting hope that he could ever soar. And according to the legend, the golden eagle lived and died knowing nothing beyond that earthbound life stuck as a prairie chicken. Wow, that's it's kind of a sad story. But it's also a powerful parable for us because how far, how fast, how high we fly in life is directly related to what we believe about oh, ourselves, so true. right? Yeah. And unfortunately, too often our beliefs are a product of damaging messages shot into our hearts like arrows when mm, we were too yeah. young and naive to defend ourselves, right, from yeah. their destructive impact. I, I want to share the story of... Um, a friend who I'll call Monica today. And I'm not going to be graphic, but if you have children in the room, you might want to busy them elsewhere because Mo Monica went through enough trauma in her childhood to deeply damage her self-worth. And if you have a history of childhood abuse, you might actually find my story triggering. But on the other hand, you might find it a great source of hope. Yeah. So up to your discretion. Yeah. So here's my story actually Monica's story. Throughout Monica's childhood, she endured terrible abuse of every type imaginable at the hands of her grandfather. During the episodes, he would say to her, you're nothing but dung. This is all you're good for. And okay, I cleaned that up a little bit, but you can imagine the words he right. actually said. And you can imagine that the effects of hearing that and, and experiencing that um, that abuse was absolutely devastating. She has suffered from STIs for as long as she can remember. She endured seven surgical procedures and many resulting complications trying to correct the, that damage that was inflicted on her body. But of course, the scarring that she endured was not limited to her body. The abuse she suffered mutilated both her body and her soul. And I realize some of you don't have to imagine this. You've lived it. Mm. And I want you to know before we moved on, I am so sorry someone did that to you. Yeah. You didn't deserve that. Yeah. And it was terribly unfair. But I also want you to know that healing is possible. And later I'll share that part of Monica's story with you. But before she experienced God's healing, she fulfilled what she believed was her destiny. She lived a degrading and promiscuous lifestyle, even though for many years she had no conscious memory of the abuse in her past. She had just blocked it out. But in the depths of her heart, she believed that this was all she was good for. Mm -hmm. And I have to wonder how many of us never even reach for the noble purposes we were made for because of what we've accepted as the truth about ourselves. You know, we start off life with many faulty assumptions based on the way people treat us. And then we live the rest of our lives just collecting data to support what we already believe. Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a terrible 
it's a terrible way to form a self-image, but it's what we often do. Yeah. And, and go ahead. Yeah, I, w- I was just going to say that what we believe about ourselves, either positively or negatively, profoundly affects how we live. Mm-hmm. And it brings us back to the story of the eagle. Yeah. Thought he was a prairie chicken. And this whole thing is illustrated uh, by a story by Francis Hogson um, called A Little Princess. Now, I never read the book, but in 95, a movie was made Mm -hmm. of this story. And I saw the movie and I... We cried. I am a (laughs) soft-hearted father of girls. Yeah. And uh, uh, some of you will know the story, I'm sure. But it's... It's the story of a, a, a loving dad, father, who was raising his young daughter alone. Her name was Sarah. And they had a really special bond. It was such a sweet relationship. And all the nurture and affection that um, the, the father invested in his little girl showed on her face. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it, it just it, it showed itself in the way she carried herself and her behavior and all her life, he would regularly ter- tell her that she was a princess. And to her, co- her core, she believed that it was true because she knew she was loved. Uh, she was loving and kind in return. And it's a story. And, and I think that's so interesting, right? Because I think when we don't know we're loved, like hurt people tend to hurt people. Hurt people hurt people. And when we know we're loved and valued, we yeah. treat others differently. Yeah. And so in the movie, as the story unfolds, the father, who was a uh, a captain, uh, was called away to war. And he was a man of means. And so to provide for Sarah's care while he was away at war, he situated his daughter in a strict New York boarding school for girls of elevated social station. And he went in and he made all the arrangements and he made sure that she had the best of everything, including the best room in the house. Now, unfortunately, what happens sometimes with that is mm-hmm. other people become jealous. Yeah. And some of the other little girls became jealous of her. But, you know, her her, her kindness and her love and uh, her winsomeness eventually won most of them over. Hmm. But something phenomenally tragic happened on her 11th birthday. News was received that her father uh, was believed to have been killed in battle. Hmm. And those who resented Sarah's inner beauty saw their opportunity to destroy it. And the, the primary antagonist, the, the evil personified, was the headmistress. She was a bitter, vindictive woman named Mrs. Minchin, or Miss Minchin, rather. And she'd resented Sarah from the very beginning. And she saw her opportunity to just destroy this little girl. Hmm. And so she conspired with the attorney who was stewarding Captain Crew estate to rob Sarah of her inheritance. And she convinced Sarah that she was now penniless. And uh, only Miss Minchin's grudgingly, grudging benevolence would even keep her off the streets. Hmm. And in that moment, as an 11-year-old, hearing the news that her father was dead, she was now being attacked. And uh, as she was finishing... Her speech, Miss Minchin concluded by saying, I expect you to remember, Sarah Crew, that you're not a princess any longer. Mm-hmm. Oh. Sarah's circumstances deteriorated further as this hard-hearted woman continued to, everything she could do to break Sarah's spirit. She was evicted from her room and forced to live in a drafty, rodent-ridden attic, and she was forced to become a servant to earn her keep. 
And she saw the discrepancy between her present situation and what she'd always accepted as, as truth. And one of the younger girls was, was curious and hopeful. And she asked Sarah, are you still a princess? Hmm. And, you know, I remember in the movie as she sat destitute, grieving in her attic, Miss Minchin confronted her by, and said, don't tell me you still fancy yourself a princess. Good God, child, look at you, or better yet, look in the mirror. But you know, this little girl couldn't be dissuaded. And she, she tapped into something deep in her heart um, and, and all the things that her father had said to her long ago and insisted, I am a princess. All girls, even if they live in tiny old attics, even if they dress in rags, even if they aren't pretty or smart or young, they're still princesses. Didn't your father ever tell you that? Hmm. Didn't he? Wow. This story, although it's probably fictional, is so powerful because what Sarah chose to believe about her identity gave her courage. It mm -hmm. gave her dignity mm -hmm. and strength, even in circumstances that totally contradicted her worth. The headmistress, on the other hand, betrayed her, you know, emaciated self-esteem by mm -hmm. the way she chose to demean others, mm -hmm. even a grief-stricken little girl, yeah. to keep from feeling inferior. What we believe about ourselves will affect the whole trajectory of our lives. Yeah, and the so jet, true. Yeah, and then the jet stream we leave in our path impacts others as well. And so often those things that are said and done to us when we're little yeah. are some of the things that leave the deepest scars, the, mm -hmm. the deepest tracks. Well, I have to tell you that the abuse and the hardship went on way too long. In the movie. <laughs> My father's heart. <laughs> yeah. But there was good news. <laughs> yeah. I remember I cried at the end because at the end of the stories, Sarah's father returned. Uh, it turned out he wasn't killed. He just suffered a head wound and had experienced some amnesia. And uh, he, he, he came back. And his outrage was off the charts, as I can imagine a father's would when he discovered how his precious daughter had been treated in his absence. Mm. Yeah, and I think that that outrage, that's how God feels yeah. when he sees his precious children discarded as worthless. Yeah. He's outraged because he knows the truth about us. In fact, he not only knows the truth, truth is what he says it is. That's a, he's a term, <laughs> the determiner of truth. Yeah, exactly. He said in John 14, 6, I am the way the truth, and the life. What Jesus said, how he lived his life is the standard. And we should use we should use that standard to measure all the messages that flood our senses day after day. Truth is not what we needy, needy messed up, selfish humans think. Not one of us are, are objective, not our parents, not our teachers, not our coaches, not a, an abusive partner or spouse. Yeah. Only God is objective about us. So if we want to have an accurate self-image, we have to know what he says about us. Yeah. So let's just look at three key indicators of our value to God and therefore our true value. Our true worth. Because what he says goes. And I want to say, I, I love this first one that you're going to talk about. Yeah, this, so the, oh man, this the, is spectacular. I love this. The first one is that we're his works of art. 
There's actually a verse in the Bible in Ephesians that says, we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. And, and that word masterpiece in the original language means handiwork or handicraft or work of art. Yeah. And sometimes it's even um, translated poem. Mm. Poema is yeah. the original word. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, and I am not artistic. Um, I struggle with basic stick men. Uh, <laughs> but you are. And it's amazing how every one of your masterpieces is different. Mm -hmm. Even when you try to paint the same thing again, yeah, it's that's, different. That's right. You yeah. never get it exactly the same yeah. twice. We weren't. And, and in the same way, we were not created on an assembly yep. line. We are each unique and perfect. We're exactly the way God meant us to be. All blotches, splotches, and other irregularities are intentional and do not diminish our value. Have you ever mm. seen that on a piece of pottery or something like that? Sometimes they'll put a tag on oh, okay. that'll say, you know, all irregularities are intentional and don't diminish <laughs> the value. Oh, that's very interesting. So not only are we one-of-a-kind works of the ultimate artist, but each of us somehow carries a likeness to that artist, God himself. In Genesis 1, 27, we're told that we have been created in God's image. So in other words, we all reflect to the world some aspect of our creator. And, and we thought wearing Kate Spade was cool. Well, you Who's probably Kate didn't. Spade? Oh, she's a famous designer of purses and wallets and I don't know what all else. I guess, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you've always thought Eddie Bauer, wearing Eddie Bauer was cool, but that was long before Eddie Bauer was cool. <laughs> yeah, not <laughs> now Eddie Bauer. Up to you. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, the psalmist has, has talked about how, um, in how we are, perfect and unique and how um, we were, it, even when we were secluded in the womb, God was weaving us together yeah, very, 139. very intentionally. He knew yeah. us in our mother's womb. Yeah. That's right. He yeah. created our innermost being. Yeah. That's part of his work of art. You're the who you are, not just the body that you're right. residing in. Yeah. Yeah. So mm -hmm. good. Well, there's a second one too. And it's simply this. He created us with the dignity of a free will. Hmm. He didn't need to create us this way, but he did it on purpose because he wanted to create beings that could freely love him. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I'm not a really techie guy, although I am more techie than you. you know, everyone's more techie and, than me. You know, I, I discovered years ago that with Windows, we're not Mac people. I'm sorry. I apologize to those of you who are, but we're Windows people. <laughs> and um, I discovered that you could have a screensaver say almost anything you wanted it to say. <laughs> You could have it say, you know, I love you. <laughs> the, the problem with that is it's not real. Right. And if God had created us oh. without a free will, we would be nothing short of the window screen saying, I love you. Mm -hmm. And he wanted uh, to do that, even knowing uh, before we were all created that we would all choose at some point to reject that. Wow. And continue to invite us to respond to him and even sent Jesus to come to pay the, the ultimate price for our disobedience, our willful disobedience, our sin, uh, so that we could be restored to him. And, and that's why when Jesus was here, he, he said this in John 3.16, such a classic verse, that God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Mm -hmm. Even in this, 
we get to exercise our free will. That's we get amazing. a choice. It, it, it really is amazing. Um, because really what Jesus' death was, and this is the third thing, is, is it, he, he, was, he paid, God paid so dearly just for the mere possibility of a relationship yeah. with us. Like not knowing if we would, of course he knew, he did know everything. But he also gave us free will. So we yeah. could have not, we, we can choose. And many people do choose today not to be in relationship with Yeah, them. that's right. Knowing the whole time mm -hmm. that there's going to be a, a significant number of my creatures who are going to reject that offer. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Um, so how do we determine something's value? Based, generally, the, the indication of any kind of a commodity's value uh -huh. Is, is simply what somebody's willing to pay for it, right? Just look at gas prices right now. Right. <laughs> and we're all running out and filling our tanks. Um, it, when we apply this to the story of Jesus, we have to realize that God was born in the form of, a, of, of the baby Jesus, and he was born to die. God in a bod, as yeah, I heard God you say <laughs> at the conference last weekend. Jesus was God with skin on. Mm -hmm. And... He came to pay for our sin um, in the wild hope that each one of us would respond to his love and not reject him. Uh, listen to these words of the Apostle Peter. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And the reason he, and, and the ransom he paid was not mere gold or silver. He paid for you with the precious lifeblood of Christ, mm -hmm. the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. Yeah. Now that was written by Jesus' close friend and colleague, Simon Peter, um, often known as St. Peter. And we don't have time here to retrace all of Peter's steps. Oh boy. But most of us know that Peter was the guy who denied even knowing Jesus once it became clear that Jesus would be crucified. You know, I, I can really relate to Peter because so often he was such a putz. You know, if it could be <laughs> well, done the wrong way, lots... Impetuous, right? Yeah, lots of enthusiasm, but... Foot and mouth disease, big time. Yeah. Yeah. So after, after Jesus was crucified and rose from the dead, uh, he responded to Peter, who had denied him, really betrayed him in yeah. a very powerful way. Even after saying, I will die for you rather than deny you. Yeah. 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 And, and so after Jesus was raised from the dead, he met... Um, he instructs the angel who meets the women who come to the tomb to embalm Jesus' body. They don't know he's risen from the dead yet, right? Um, and he asks those women, the, the angel asks those women or tells those women to go tell Peter mm -hmm. and the disciples that he's alive. Mm -hmm. And I think yeah. it's fascinating that he singled out Peter. He really want, wanted Peter to know. He wanted that to be the priority of the women. And I find it intriguing that it wasn't John who was singled out. It wasn't, it wasn't the success story. The only disciple who didn't run and hide yeah. only one who stayed with Jesus to the end. It was Peter who was the biggest failure in a group of failures. Well, I don't know that we often think about how Peter must have suffered. Oh, you know, it says when Jesus caught his eye after he denied him the third time, yeah. he went away and wept bitterly. Yeah. And I don't think that was, just Friday night, I suspect it was all day Saturday into Sunday. I'm sure he didn't think he would ever forgive himself. Yeah. But how does Jesus respond? 
I love this. In the Gospel of John, we're told that Jesus, in an incredibly tender exchange, gives Peter the opportunity to affirm his love three times. Three times he asks the question, Peter, do you love me more yeah. than these others? Yeah. Three times. And Peter, at first, is really distressed that Jesus keeps asking. But it was as though Jesus was giving him the opportunity to affirm his love three times, as if to cancel out the three times that he denied even knowing. Well, him. and it's so interesting to me that mm. all of the bravery and braggadocious, I will die for you, right. is completely gone. Right. Yeah. Experiencing Jesus' love, acceptance, and forgiveness, seeing himself through Jesus' eyes, ignited an incredible change yeah, in this man. Instead of giving, living the life of a cowardly, conceited yep. wannabe, yep. Peter began to live out his true destiny as a fearless child of God. And you may not know this part of the story, but Peter began telling the story of Jesus to thousands of people, even, after, even under government threats. He stood up to those who had masterminded Jesus' murder and endured repeated torture and imprisonments, beatings, the works. And ultimately, facing death by crucifixion, he chose to be crucified upside down because he wasn't willing to be given the honor of dying the same way as his Lord. Yeah. yeah. So why the change? Because seeing ourselves through Jesus' eyes changes us just yeah. like it changed Peter. Yeah. When we draw down deep into that well of worth our creator and father has placed inside of us, we find the courage the strength and dignity to become all he created us to be. Mm -hmm. Grasping the truth of who we are defines our destiny. Because when we believe we're prairie chickens, we scratch for what we can get. But when we know we're eagles, we soar. Yeah. And my friend Monica, so cruelly abused in her childhood, she knows it too. You know who I'm talking about, I right? I do know, yeah, yeah. She has experienced the radical love, acceptance, forgiveness, and healing of Jesus in her life. And today she's living out her true destiny, not as dung, only good for one thing, but as a radiant daughter of God, fulfilling her purpose in this world as a compassionate, confident, and creative woman. Loving, positive, yeah, leader, enthusiastic. Yeah, the kind you of woman never who... Guess. The kind of woman who just lights yep. up her room. Yep, yeah, she does. So who are you? Have you accepted the opinion of someone who has no idea of your great worth? Has the glorious truth of your identity begun to dawn on you? Yeah. Oh, I hope so. Because what you believe about yourself will radically affect the way you live your life. The goals you aspire to, the heights of character you reach for the way you relate to people, and the way you connect to your creator and father. And you may be somebody who doesn't have a relationship with your creator and father. And I just want to encourage you to talk to somebody you know, who knows, yeah. and, and, and really weigh this seriously. Nothing will make a bigger difference in your life, I can promise you. Yeah. This is a share show. If you can think of someone in your life who would benefit from hearing this message, please do pass it along. Also, connect with us at Grow on the Go. Uh, Grow on the Go pod is one way uh, you can do that through Instagram. Also, subscribe on your favorite app, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or iHeartRadio, or 
listen anytime using the My Joy Radio app. Thanks, Randy, for hosting with me today. Thanks, Anne. I'm Donna Carter. Thanks for listening to Grow on the Go. Thanks for listening to Grow on the Go. Share this episode on social media and find more great programs at faithstrongtoday.com. 